Welcome to Over in Smith, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast where we read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, and sometimes we make an audiobook of it if it's not too racist or boring. Uh, today we're going to be reading The Silver Key, a Randolph Carter story. With me today is somebody who really likes those dreamlands going into him, escaping the ennui. It's Jesse. Hi. I want to try to escape the ennui, but I feel like it's uh, like an eternal prison of of hate. Gosh. But like a real boring hate, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. You got one of those silver keys? No, I lost it so long oh, ago. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> when you were like moving apartments once. <laughs> I'm still like that. I'm still mad that my Bob lost comics that would have probably gotten me like a good 10k at Damn, least if I sold that them. That is a shame. I know, you know, just I had some real good first appearances of some characters. Oh shit! Yeah, there you go. Um, I know. Yeah. So, uh, uh, fuck you, mom. I mean, also fuck you for the trauma, but also fuck you for. But like, you know, especially leaving. fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, it's just a general over, it's, it's overall one, fuck it's you. It's one thing for rude, completely ruining my emotional state. It's another thing that I don't have the money that I could have gotten for those comics, you piece of shit. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be reading The Silver Key and, oh, what's that on the hazing ridges of dreamland? I, I, I think somebody's telling me that there's like some kind of a blurb. It, yeah. Uh, also written in late summer or early fall of 1926, The Silver Key, in terms of the Randolph-Carter cycle, takes place after the events of the dream quest of Unknown Kadoth, depicting Carter's loss of the keys of dreams. Damn. Um, you know, <laughs> that's a bad thing to lose. Damn. Don't, don't lose it. Much of the story reads like an allegory or parable, as Carter explores a succession of lifestyles to escape from the ennui and sense of purposelessness. Okay, here's the thing: you could just say ennui. You could just you just you ennui you could already say, covers the sense of purposelessness. Yeah, you could just say ennui, and I I don't want to actually I but I'm gonna just say ennui covers a lot. One of that is purposelessness. Exactly. Like, okay, I get um, it. You have a word count, but like, Jesus. <laughs> okay, like, like the difference between ennui is and bore and being bored is the boredom is enhanced by the purposelessness. Exactly. Yes, it's boredom. You know, it's, it's boredom. New game plus. Yeah, it's it's like it's like sexy boredom, but like not a cool sexy, <laughs> sexy boredom. Like French boredom. Like, yeah, it's like it's like a sexy French boredom, but you're on antidepressants and it takes forever. Oh fuck, that's the worst. And sometimes you can't even do it. Oh uh, nope. Uh, nope. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Don't get don't be depressed. It makes it real hard to do certain things with your genitals. Um, Damn. Because if you fix it, it makes it even how harder. Gonna, because yeah, how are you gonna fuck those fish people? Damn. Yeah, they're gonna have to work so hard. <laughs> uh, it's okay. They're gonna live forever. It's fine. They have the time. <laughs> uh, also we all know that they're they're okay going down too uh, so they're they're, they're uh, givers they're not takers yeah uh the concluding segment however where carter returns to his boy home a boy home but the book boyhood home is drawn very largely from lovecraft's own visit to the ancestral regions of western rhode island and 
October 1926. The story appeared in Weird Tales, January 1929. But the editor told Lovecraft that the readers violently disliked it. <laughs> There's even an exclamation point. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm. I think I'm gonna call uh, bullshit on this because every time they make that much of a like. Like either the person for Weird Tales saying, "Hey, this sucks." Oh, Most yeah. of the time, it's pretty. We cool. won't take this. Um, or saying yeah. like, um, uh, what was it? Or saying uh, Herbert West reanimator was too morbid. No, it was a farce. If anything, yeah, I love, I love Herbert West reanimator. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> that that story really went off the rails. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. I I have a feeling that maybe they just didn't like it because it sounds like it's gonna be sad. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, like how people are like real dumb uh, in the past and thinks everything's scary. Maybe. Um. Maybe. Maybe they're just real dumb and don't know what a good sad story yeah, is. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. You can feel sad sometimes. Not all the time. That sucks. Oh no! Don't be sad all the time. No, it's, they really suck. Occasionally having like a sad moment is good. It can be really cathartic for you. Yeah, until it becomes not cathartic, and, and it takes over your life. And then like it becomes a problem, and you can't live your daily life. Then it's a disorder. <laughs> don't be sad all the time, but sometimes okay. Nice, nice, noise. All right, do we want to get this sad party started? <sighs> I'm I'm you, already filled with on. Do you have your slightly crinkled up party hat ready? It's like it got yeah, like a little squished. <laughs> it's a little squished, but it's okay. It still it still stays on your head, and that's what really matters. Yeah. All right. I might cry if it falls <laughs> over. Though. Oh, no. I'm that close. <laughs> I am that close. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Silver Key by H. B. Lovecraft. When Randolph Carter was 30, he lost the key of the Gate of Dreams. Prior to that time, he had made up for the prosiness of life by nightly excursions into strange and ancient cities beyond space and lovely, unbelievable garden lands across ethereal seas. But as middle age hardened upon him, he felt these liberties slipping away, little by little, until last he was cut off altogether. Okay. Middle um, age? Faith. He's fucking 30. Faith, they better not say that things suck when you're 30. I'm going to be turning 30 in like six I'm months. I'm already 30, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't suck well, that well, much, you know. actually. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, it probably sucks about as much as most of your late 30s. I have heard people say I mean, that 20s. like your 30s are actually way better than your 20s. Yeah, I hear that too, but also like they, they aren't the people who are going to be heading into water wars in about <laughs> 20 true. years. So that's right. I still uh, that's right. I need to figure out how to grow gills. Gotta find those fish people to fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's the only way. <laughs> I have a I have eleven years left on this earth. So man, we really are like the uh, the future, the forward looking people. We're like we gotta find those fish people to fuck. <laughs> that's the secret. <laughs> but yeah, don't tell me that the thirties is gonna suck, book. I like how the I actually, also like how they said that that's middle age. I mean it was. Well actually it will become middle age soon because uh because millennials are going to have less of a lifespan than uh, all Wait. the uh, than the last couple generations. I think it would have been middle age for HP Lovecraft actually. I think he lived one sec. Hold up. Hold up. 
Yeah, he was 46 when he died. So yeah, this is like middle age for him. <laughs> well, well, and I'm, well, but, but uh, millennials, and by the way, millennials are not young anymore. Most of us are in our 30s. Yeah. Um, or late 20s, early 30s. Um, or I think the oldest is like 42, I want to say. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, uh, we're going to have a, a shorter lifespan than uh, the our parents and uh, grandparents. That doesn't surprise me, sadly. No, it's it's because it's literally um, going to. Um, we're literally working ourselves to yeah, death. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. We have seven percent of the wealth, and two point five of that belongs to just M- Mark Zuckerberg. The fuck, fuck off, Mark Zuckerberg. So you know, there's you know, I understand the ennui. You know what? I get <laughs> I'm, it. I'm with, get, I'm with Randolph I, here. I get it. It's me too. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're with the ennui. You know what? Yeah, I, I also try to go into worlds of of, of fanciful and delight, but all my friends have jobs, so I can't play D and D every Damn week. Damn it! No more could his galley sail up the river Okonos, past the gilded spires of Thrawn, or his elephant caravans tramp through perfumed jungles in Cled, where forgotten palaces with veiled ivory columns sleep lovely and unbroken under the moon. I do have to say, I do love when HP describes Dreamworld stuff. It's yeah. real good. He had much, oh, he had read much of the things as they are and talked with too many people. Well-meaning philosophers had taught him to look into the logical relations of things and analyze the processes which shaped his thoughts and fancies. Wonder had gone away. He had forgotten that life is only a set of pictures in brains, among which were no different betwixt those born of real things and those born of inward dreamings. And no cause to value the one above the other. Custom had dinned into his ears a superstitious reverence for that which tangibly and physically exists, and made him secretly ashamed to dwell in visions. Wise men told him his simple fancies were inane and childish, and he believed it because he could see that they might easily be so. What he failed to recall was that the deeds of reality are just as inane and childish, and even more absurd because of their actors persist in fancying them full of meaning and purpose as the blind cosmos grinds aimlessly on from nothing to something and from something back to nothing again, neither heeding nor knowing the wishes or existence of the minds that flicker for a second now and then in the darkness. Fuck! Fuck, Lovecraft. Why are you making me feel bad for existing? Fuck, dude. <laughs> that is, he's really describing ennui. Like, that is some real hardcore ennui. Oh, shit. Um, Literally just like, crap. yeah, you think dreams are childish and silly? Well, like, so is just fucking existing. Christ, I didn't imagine we we're going to read another suicide. <sighs> no, fuck. I already had a bad day today. Don't eat this, Randolph Carter. <laughs> Oh, okay. They had chained him down to things that are, and had then explained the workings of those things till mystery had gone out of the world, when he complained and longed to escape into twilight realms where magic molded all the little vivid fragments, and prized associations of his mind into vistas of breathless expectancy and unquenchable delight. They turned him instead toward newfound prodigies of science, bidding him to find wonder in the atom's vortex and mystery in sky's dimensions. 
And when he had failed to find those boons and things whose laws are known and immeasurable, they told him he lacked imagination and was immature because he preferred dream illusions to the illusions of our physical creation. I really need them to stop right <laughs> Can now. Can you fucking not right now, <laughs> HP? I'm already Christ. like really sad today. You don't have to do this to me. You want to have a better world around you, and you're trying to fuck off, people. This, this does make me think, so here's a secret about when I do witchcraft stuff. I don't know if magic is real, and that's okay. It might be. It might not be. And you know what? I'm okay not knowing one way or the other. <laughs> No, I'm 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 largely atheistic, but like I don't know, it's fun believing in stuff. Like, yeah, maybe yeah. it'll exist, and if it doesn't, uh, like doing uh ritualistic ceremonies impacts our psychology in a way like that is incredibly profound. I do really like the um the thing called a uh, little uh vivid fragments and prize associations in his mind yes into vistas of breathless expectancy yes. and unquenchable delight i fucking love which is why i'm so excited to read uh the um the uh dream quest of unknown Kadath. i'm so excited to read that because i just love when hp describes dream world stuff it's so good yeah, he he gets he gets real fanciful when he's doing Dreamland stuff, and I like. It's that. like why we liked um, uh, Neolithotep so much. It's because he just he's he uses like the same stuff he uses when he does Dreamland descriptions, but it's the cosmic horror that he's describing yeah. is so good. Also, I'm really dude. He's doing real good with describing how sad Randolph is <laughs> I know, right now. Randall Carter, no. <laughs> It's because also the Adam's vortex and mysteries in the sky dimension is also just real oh, good. Oh hell yeah! Uh, there's oh man. Okay. okay, some really strong first paragraphs. I'm excited for more, even though I know it's gonna be really fucking sad. So Carter had tried to do as others did and pretended that the common events and emotions of earthy minds were more important than fantasies of rare and delicate souls. He did not dissent when they told him that the animal pain of a stuck pig or dyspeptic plowman in real life in real life is a greater thing than the peerless beauty of Narath and its hundred carven gates and domes of Chalcedony, which he dimly remembered from his dreams, and under the guidance he cultivated a painstaking sense of pity and tragedy. Once in a while, though, he could not help seeing how shallow, fickle, and meaningless all human aspirations are, and how emptily our real impulses contrast with those pompous ideals we profess to hold. Then he would have recourse to the polite laughter they had taught him to use against the extravagance and artificiality of dreams, for he saw that the daily life of our world is every inch as extravagant and artificial and far less worthy of respect because of its poverty and beauty and its silly reluctance to admit its own lack of reason and purpose. I know. <laughs> HP needs a hug. HP, just want to get you into. He needs a hug right now. Just want to get you, you into into therapy. Like this is kind of a bummer. This really is a bummer. <laughs> this is not a good day for oh, me to read this. <laughs> I don't know. It's so beautiful. I know. I'm, I'm writing on how, like, how, like, incredibly, like, delicate and extravagant this writing is. 
I do really love it. I'm very pro <laughs> what he's doing, but also I am in a raw mood right now. I know, now. me too. <laughs> but it's very beautifully written, and uh, it, it feels nice to have such beautiful world words put behind uh, what is obviously very deep depression. Oh, very <laughs> inescapable. It's just a vortex of just a vortex of spicy sads. <laughs> Sorry, I really like the spicy part of that. <laughs> spicy. In this way, he became a kind of humorist, for he did not see that even humor is empty in a mindless universe, devoid of any true standard of consistency or inconsistency. In the first days of his bondage, he had turned to the gentle churchly faith endeared to him by the naive trust of his fathers. For hence stretched mystic avenues which seemed to promise escape from life. Only on closer view did he mark the star fancy and beauty, the stale and prosy triteness, and the owlish gravity and grotesque claims of solid truth, which reigned, bors which reigned borsomely and overwhelmingly among most of its professors, or feel to the full the awkwardness with which it sought to keep alive as literal fact the outgrown fears and guesses of a primal race confronting the unknown. It wearied Carter to see how solemnly people tried to make earthly reality out of old myths, which every step of their boasted science confuted. And this misplaced seriousness killed the attachment he might have kept for the ancient creeds had they been content to offer the sonorous rites and emotional outlets with their true guise of ethereal fantasy. Sorry. I, I don't think this is about Randolph Carter. Uh, yeah, I think I think maybe HP is just writing about himself. I think I think HP is doing a self-insert uh fanfic about how sad he is. You, and you know what? I get how this ties into the dreamlands, so um this is something that happens like when I forget to take my medication. I cannot have good dreams. Yeah. In fact, before I started taking antidepressants, I would regularly get uh, sleep paralysis, and I like I haven't ha I actually haven't had a nightmare since I started taking antidepressants. I don't dream that often, and when I do, they're real boring. It's real oh, boring. Oh yeah, I have like weird dreams every single night. No, that like, has not my, like my dream, <laughs> like my dreams are just extensions of the thoughts I had right right uh, after I fed Dexter to go back to bed, uh, <laughs> and like. One of them, like, one of them is just, hey, I need to get a new phone because my phone's slowing down. It might be broken. And then I was just, and then I just had a dream that my phone was broken, but in a comical, not comical, uh, exaggerated oh. way. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, you know. There's, like, a spring coming out of it. You're like, what does spring fit in here? No, it was actually literally falling oh apart, like, it had, <laughs> like, in my hands. Uh, and, and then, like, I woke up and be like, oh, cool, my phone's here. <laughs> like I one time I forgot to take my meds and I tried to take a nap like the day after like I take my meds at night so the day after I forgot to take them I tried to take a nap and I had been like making my bed and I kept having dreams that I was trying to make my bed but every time I'd finish there was somebody already in it it was oh that's that's that was your cat it was really weird uh <laughs> no it was a person it was, it was definitely a person no, no, it was definitely a cat. <laughs> if it was a cat, I would have felt better. But yeah, like, and I kept waking up and I kept having that dream over and over again. Yeah, I think you were just in a a, a time loop. Probably. That, that was it. That makes sense. But yeah, this uh, this story is real, really speaking to me. Yeah. 
God damn it. I'm so depressed. Please. Please, HP. Let me live my life. I just want Ordo Taco Bell. Oh, man, imagine, imagine, like, imagine 50 years ago, like, being like, I'm going to treat myself with some grade D beef. With just some trash. <laughs> At least, like, Taco Bell is not good food, but it's also not priced. Like, it's it's cheap. It's so cheap. It's cheaper than any other fast food joint. Like, yeah. McDonald's is so expensive for the shitty quality food that they serve. Yeah, it is. At least you can get it. Okay, they did. Okay. They did do a, uh, a, it was, oh my god, it was forever, and I got so many of these. It was, uh, it was a burger with, uh, those onion, not the, the, the shoe, the real thin, crispy onion, fried onion. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, uh, it had a bacon, it had a bacon jam on it Ooh. with Gouda. Oh, yeah, I do oh remember that. Oh my god, that. it was so good! And they got rid no! of it, and I'm real fucking angry. Like, I probably spent, like, 200 bucks on, like, that alone, because I'm just like, I fucking love this. Really, I think, well, if I wasn't going plant-based, I would I would make bacon jam, because bacon jam's real good. It does sound really fucking good, actually. I'm not gonna lie. It was, it was a bacon and onion jam. It was just, oh my god, it was so good. Alright, let's read more about this sad time. Sad, sad time, and HP love for, I mean, uh, Randolph Carter's life. <laughs> My self-insert character, do not steal, uh, uh, LP Huffcraft. <laughs> My self-insert character with a lot of trauma and also sad, and also their mom really doesn't like them that much. Uh... <laughs> uh, it was like, oh, okay, wait, okay, one, one last interruption before we get to the next part, but, uh, I was... I didn't know how to say to people that my mom was, like, abusive and shitty. Uh-huh. So I'd write short stories that was, like, about basically what she'd done to me, but I'd be, like, a little animal. Oh. And it was real fucking sad. Oh. <laughs> one, of them, one of them was, like, uh, was, like, uh, a little, uh, like, there was a bunch of little bats and they moved caves. And they left, they, they left the, they, they, they left, they left the self-insert character me. Oh, uh, no. But behind, uh, for at someone else's someone else's cave for multiple days, they came back and was talking about how much fun oh, they had. No. <laughs> they they literally left me when they took a fucking vacation oh, before. That's awful. No, I fucking hate my mom. She did a bad job of killing herself. Ugh. Christ, that's terrible. <laughs> no, it's real sad. I'm so sorry, Jesse. That's <laughs> awful. <laughs> No, I want to say I'm over it, but I still have a lot I of know, trauma. I know, like, but understandably. <laughs> but, but no, but the thing is, none of it's rooted in my sexuality or gender, gender identity, which is just, Thank God. Which, which is good, but also just like, now I just have trauma based around just my childhood, and it, you know... <laughs> Like, Damn I can, it! I'm I'm okay, I'm okay with myself, gender and sexuality wise. So you know, I know wild. You know, <laughs> I can't get over. Hey, I can't get over. Hey, my mom treated me like shit. Oh god! Like, I can't grow into that. Oh god! It's, I understand. Know? A client, a client, fucking triggered me the other day with some shit that my ex boyfriend used to do to me, and I got so fucking mad about it. Christ. Okay, let's get yeah, into this. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but when he came to study those who had thrown off the old myths, he found them even more ugly than the ones who had not. 
They did not know what beauty lies in harmony, and that loveliness of life has no standard amidst an aimless cosmos, save only its harmony with the dreams and the feelings which have gone before and blindly molded our little spheres out of the rest of the and molded our little spheres out of the rest of chaos. They did not see that good and evil and beauty and ugliness are only ornamental fruits of perspective, whose sole value lies in their linkage to what chance made our fathers think and feel, and whose finer details are different for every race and culture. Instead, they either denied these things altogether or transferred them to crude, vague instincts, which they shared with the beasts and peasants so that their lives were dragged melodorously out in pain, ugliness, and disproportion, yet filled with a ludicrous pride at having escaped from something no more unsound than that which still held them. They had traded the false gods of fear and blind piety for those of license in anarchy. I Is H.P. like okay. taking a look at his racism in this? I think he might. I feel like HP's having a moment where he's like, wait, actually, like, it doesn't fucking matter. White people are no better than any other person. Also, also, he's using anarchy wrong. Um, but, but whatever. But I, my, my second favorite thing to do on the internet is tell people that they're using anarchy oh, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, like, he is using anarchy. I mean, unless he's talking about literally uh, getting rid of all unjust hierarchies, which I feel like... Um, I don't know. He kind of is. It's a lot of problems. He's saying like, uh, like ugliness and beauty are no better than one or the other. That every race and every culture has some different, like, stupid hierarchy of like what is special and what isn't. Yeah. I mean, hmm. I don't know. I I think he's doing some soul searching in this. Obviously, yeah. um, like we couldn't tell, uh, <laughs> you know, at all. Um, <laughs> Because, like, I think from here on, like, besides besides the kind of weirdness in Dunwich Horror, like, I don't think there's, like, a lot of weirdness um, about, I mean, Shadow like, over racial stuff. Kind of, but it's, like, <sighs> a lot less, like, it's not, like, he's so blatant in his racism and other stuff in previous works. Like, um, like, you wouldn't know that Dunwich Horror was about miscegenation unless H.P. Lovecraft had, like, told you directly. It was like, yeah, it's about the mixing of the races. Like, you wouldn't know that just reading Dunwich Horror. Also, um, he made fucking the fish people way too rad. Yeah, he to, made it sound to, like, fucking incredible. <laughs> like, you get gold, you get food, and also you get to be immortal. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you look a little fishy. Guess what? I live I live forever and I could be in the ocean. Whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 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 you know, he made fi- fucking fish people, like, way too, it's like, true. Ooh, tempting. It's true. He really did. But, like, the... The racism in Dunwich Horror is like nothing compared to like horror at Red Hook, where it's just yeah, blatant. Which, which <laughs> so blatant. So blatant. It is. I'm, <sighs> I'm still so bummed about that story. I'm so it's, bummed. Like the little parts that were like <sighs> so not good. just I like the little parts were so good but then it was just surrounded by like i don't like jews i don't like black people i don't like italians i remember I like- when white people <laughs> lived on these docks now it's not white people and that's bad man those polish people <laughs> yuck gross 
them and their pierogies. They smell like fish all the time. Yuck. And pierogies. <laughs> yeah. That's all I know about Polish people. Say pierogies. Oh, I know a Polish person. I uh they're they're I think they're either either a lesbian or bi. Uh they are blonde. Every time I see them, they get prettier. Oh, shit. So that's a thing. Damn. Uh, rookie- Dan, the co-writer of um, uh, Grace's Wings, his dad's side of the family is completely Polish. Oh, so he's part ghost? Yes. You figured okay. it out. <laughs> that's the secret. Okay. That's- <laughs> 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 okay. <sighs> yeah, but I know I think it might be examining some stuff inside yeah, himself. Maybe here. Taking a no, look it's at very things. surface level, but like he's putting it on the page. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, he's at least getting out and he's writing it in a very lovely manner. Like it this is beautifully written so far. Yeah. If not incredibly depressing. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> let's, let's go back in time and give and give uh Lovecraft some Zoloft. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Actually, that would not be bad. <laughs> he wasn't boning people. It's probably fine. <laughs> it's either it's either kill yourself or not come. Which one do you <laughs> Which want? Which one? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh, okay. Carter did not taste deeply of these modern freedoms, for their cheapness and squalor sickened a spirit loving beauty alone. While his reason rebelled at the flimsy logic with which their champions tried to gild brute impulse with a sacredness stripped from the idols they had discarded, he saw that most of them. Okay, I did read that. Before. He saw that most of them, in common with their cast-off priestcraft, had not escaped from the delusion that life was a meaning apart from which men dream into it and could not lay aside the crude notion of ethics and obligations beyond those of beauty. Even when all nature shrieked of its unconsciousness and impersonal immorality in the light of their scientific discoveries, warped and bigoted with the preconceived illusions of justice, freedom, and consistency, they cast off the old lore and the old ways with the old beliefs nor ever stop to think that that lore in those ways were the sole makers of their present thoughts and judgments, and the sole guides and standards in a meaningless universe without fixed aims or stable points of reference. Having lost these artificial settings, their lives grew void of direction and dramatic interest, till at length they strove to drown their ennui in bustle and pretended usefulness noise and excitement, barbaric display and animal sensation, when these things in bitterness and found fault with the social order, never could they realize that their brute foundations were as shifting and contradictory as the gods of their elders, and that the satisfaction of one moment is the bane of the next. Calm, lasting beauty comes only in dream. This solace the world had thrown away when its worship of the real, it threw away the secrets of childhood and innocence. Okay, I want to bring up a counterpoint. He could be saying real fancy, fancy way, bra- uh, reject modernity, embrace tradition. I was going to say, um, <laughs> say, H.P. Um, just said, fuck modernism. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm saying he might, like, you could... Twist that into the fascist way of oh, saying yeah. reject modernity, 
it embraced. Oh, I meant like modernism Tradition. as in like the the artist <laughs> oh, philosophy yeah. of modernism, which is like uh like geniuses exist, but they're only white men. Uh yeah, we're creating all this new art, but actually like it's exactly like the Renaissance art, which we praise constantly. Oh, but also like there's a hierarchy of things, even though there really fucking isn't. Yeah, I I might be I might be just being a little un, uh, unfair with that, but like you can I think you could twist it a couple ways. Yeah. Now. Oh, and also modernism was like, oh, we're new and different, and like we have nothing to do with that old stuff. When like they did nothing but build off of the old stuff, like the Renaissance and Enlightenment. <laughs> That's where they got all their best ideas. I can I can I can see that as well. Uh, it. You know, we'll see. We'll see with the other stuff. But no, I get what, what you're happened, saying. Yes. Yeah, you can. Mm, you can kind of. I think you can twist it. Reject but, modernity. Become fish person. Yep. Kachow. <laughs> Reject modernity. Become cars. <laughs> become Lightning McQueen. <laughs> oh, there's a. Uh, there. Uh, there's a. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good. Uh, fan theory of cars but uh you know how uh toe mater lives in uh lives in a drunkyard oh god yes i think i have heard this he basically lives yeah. in a like <laughs> with a like bunch not of even a, not even a graveyard he, he it's a it's bunch like of corpses someone, just a, laying around yeah and pieces like, of when, corpses yeah and i'm just like i don't know it's also could he be a cannibal that is very possible okay well or he's or he's selling like dead body parts to get uh money. Amidst this chaos, hollowness, and unrest, Carter tried to live as befitted a man of keen thought and good heritage. With his dreams fading under the ridicule of age, he could not believe in anything. But the love of harmony kept him close to the ways of his race and station. He walked impassive through the cities of men and sighed because no vistas seemed fully real. Because every flash of yellow sunlight on tall roofs and every glimpse of balustrated plazas in the first lamps of evening served only to remind him of dreams he had once known. And to make him homesick for ethereal lands he no longer knew how to find. Travel was only a mockery, and even the Great War stirred him a little though he served from the first in the Foreign Legion of France. For a while, he sought friends, but soon grew weary of the crudeness of their emotions and the sameness and earthiness of their visions. He felt vaguely glad that all his relatives were distant and out of touch with him, for he could not have understood his mental life. That is, none but his grandfather and great-uncle Christopher could, as they were long dead. Then he began once more the writing of books, which he had left off when dreams first failed him. But here, too, there was no satisfaction or fulfillment, for the touch of earth was upon his mind, and he could not think of lovely things, as he had done of yore. Ironic humor dragged down all the twilight minarets he reared, and the earthy fear of improbability blasted all the delicate and amazing flowers in his fairy gardens. The convention of assumed pity spilt mawkishness on his character, while the myth of an important reality and significant human events and emotions debased all his high fantasy into thin-veiled allegory and cheap social satire. 
His new novels were successful as his old ones had ever been. And because he knew how empty they must be to please an empty herd, he burned them and ceased his writing. They were very graceful novels in which he urbanely laughed at the dreams he lightly sketched. But he saw that their sophistication had sapped all their life away. Is this perhaps you, HP, commenting on your own writing? Um, hmm. hey, hey, HP, is your name actually Randolph Carter? <laughs> HP, you're a good writer, I promise. You just keep writing racist shit and it's not good, I'm sorry. It's not good. Actually, I'm not sorry. Fuck that stuff. <laughs> it was after this that he cultivated deliberate illusions and dabbled in the notions of the bizarre and the eccentric as an antidote for the commonplace. Most of these, however, soon shewed their poverty and barrenness, and he saw that the popular doctrines of occultism were as dry and as inflexible as those of science, yet without even the slender palliative of truth to deem them. Gross stupidity, falsehood, and muddled thinking are not a dream, and form no escape from life to a mind trained above their level. So Carter bought strange books and sought out deeper and more terrible men of fantastic erudition, delving into arcana of consciousness that few have trod, and learning things about the secret pits of life, legend, and immemorial antiquity, which disturbed him ever afterward. He decided to live on a rarer plane, and furnished his Boston home to suit his changing moods. One room for each hung in appropriate colors, furnished with befitting books and objects, and provided with sources of the proper sensation of light, heat, sound, taste, and odor. Did he just become, like, goth or something? <laughs> like, he's either goth or he just got into Wicca. Oh, fuck. He really... Uh, you're, not, you're not wrong. I was kind of thinking that. But, like, it's just like, yo, I bought all these weird books and, like, I make stuff, uh... You know, I make stuff smell nice with incense. <laughs> hey, really? You're you're absolutely right, actually. <laughs> Just play some spooky music, light some um, incense, and, you know, turn down the lights. That kind of stuff. Once he heard of a man in the South who was shunned and feared for the blasphemous things he read in prehistoric books and clay tablets smuggled from India and Arabia. Him he visited, living with him and sharing his studies for seven years till horror overtook them one midnight in an unknown and archaic graveyard, and only one emerged where two had entered. I wonder what that was. It's almost like we already read that story. Yeah. Ah. Then he went back to Arkham, the terrible witch-haunted old town of his forefathers in New England, and had experiences in dark amidst the hoary willows and tottering gambrel roofs which made him seal forever certain pages in the diary of a wild-minded ancestor. But these horrors took him only to the edge of reality, and were not of the true dream country he had known in youth, so that at fifty he despaired of any rest or contentment in a world grown too busy for beauty and too shrewd for dreams. Wait. I think we're dipping into some other Randolph Carter stories here. Yeah, it's supposed to be under the, uh... Supposed to be after the Dream Quest of Unknown Uh, And it's also after the Unnameable. Um, yeah. Or the Unnameable must happen after the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Um, Does it? 
Because he just mentioned that he... I don't know. Maybe not. Huh. Interesting. I kind of want to know what what order they How go in. How many graveyards because I feel like... does this man get mauled by a monster in? Maybe just stop going to graveyards. What? Well, okay. No, it has to be the other. It has to be. Where else would this happen? <laughs> because like, I feel like I would know if there was another story where he got mauled. Maybe this just happens. Maybe this is a running theme in Randall Curtis' life. He's like, yeah, like I used to go to the Dream World all the time. It was incredible. Like as I got older, I lost the key. Every time I step in a graveyard, I get mauled. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know I also, why. <laughs> okay, here's uh, okay. I think I know where the key might be because this is what uh, where where when I lose stuff, it's always underneath my bed sheets because I always put it over something. Put it over. Oh it. shit! It's probably just like you know that, or it's in an old pair of pants. Like he's gonna be doing one of his goth makeovers. He's gonna move a bookshelf, and he's gonna be like, "There fucking is." It's been here the whole time. Well, I mean, if he had a cat, it might be like under a yeah. couch. Yeah. <laughs> just look around, Randolph. Just look around. Use your eyeballs. Just a little bit. D- deep clean your apartment. <laughs> That's what I would have done if I had lost him. I'd been like, well, this is all we're doing today. <laughs> okay. Having perceived at last the hollowness and futility of real things, Carter spent his days in retirement and in wistful, disjointed memories of his dream-filled youth. He thought it rather silly that he bothered to keep on living at all and got from a South American acquaintance a very curious liquid to take him to oblivion without suffering. Inertia and force of habit, however, caused him to defer action, and he lingered indecisively among thoughts of old times, taking down the strange hangings from his walls and refitting his house as if it was in his early boyhood. Purple panes, Victorian furniture and all. Yeah, I wouldn't trust that liquid. You know, I mean, it could be fine. But I want to point out, I like how Randolph Carter went from being goth to, like, going back to his childhood. Yeah. <laughs> With the passages of time, he became almost glad he had lingered. For his relics of youth and his cleavage from the world made life unsophisticated. Ah, sorry. My hair went into my eyeballs. I couldn't read. Um, also, the word cleavage really threw me off. Yeah, it took me a very long time. Think about, just think about titties. Anyways. Yeah, like, cause I, cause like before, before I learned about like geology and what, and, uh, and like chemistry, like cleavage was just boobs. It's just titties, just titties, yeah. So like in the middle yeah, of science class, they're like, yeah, this, uh, quartz has some cleavage. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like some yeah, <laughs> Okay. For his relics of youth and his cleavage from the world made life and sophistication seem very distant and unreal. So much so that a touch of magic and expectancy stole back into his nightly slumbers. For years, those slumbers had known only such twisted reflections of everyday things as the commonest slumbers know. But now there were returned a flicker of something stranger and wilder. Something of vaguely awesome imminence, which took the form of tensely clear pictures from his childhood days, and made him think of little inconsequential things he had long forgotten. He would often wake calling for his mother and grandfather, both in their graves, a quarter of a century. Then one night his grandfather reminded him of a key. The grey old scholar, as vivid as in life, spoke long and earnestly of their ancient line. 
and of the strange visions of the delicate and sensitive men who composed it. He spoke of the flame-eyed crusader who learnt wild secrets of the Sakarkins and held him captive, and of the first Saint Randolph, oh, Sir Randolph, not Saint Randolph, and of the first Sir Randolph Carter who studied magic when Elizabeth was queen. He spoke too of Edmund Carter, who had just escaped hanging in the Salem witchcraft, who had placed in an antique box a great silver key handed down from his ancestors. Before Carter awaked, the gentle visitant told him where to find the box, that carved oak box of archaic wonder, whose grotesque lid no hand had raised for two centuries. In the dust and shadows of the great attic he found it, remote and forgotten, at the back of a drawer in a tall chest. It was about a foot square, and its gothic carvings were so fearful that he did not marvel. No person since Edmund Carter had dared open it. It gave forth no noise when shaken, but was mystic with the scent of unremembered spices. That it held a key was indeed only a dim legend, and Randolph Carter's father had never known such a box existed. It was bound in rusty iron, and no means was provided for working the formidable lock. Carter vaguely understood that he would find within it some key to the lost gate of dreams, but of where and how to use it, his grandfather had told him nothing. Thanks, Grandpa. God! Grandpa's like, oh, kids, what? You can return to the Greenlands with this key, but I'm not going to tell you how to get to it. Okay, bye! <laughs> An old servant forced the carven lid, shaking it as he did, so that the hideous faces leering from the blackened wood and some unplaced familiarity. Inside, wrapped in a discolored parchment, was a huge key of tarnished silver, covered in cryptical apparesques. But of any legible explanation, there was none. The parchment was voluminous and held only the strange hieroglyphs of an unknown tongue written in an antique reed. Carter recognized the characters as those he had seen on certain papyrus scroll, belonging to that terrible scholar of the South who had vanished one midnight in a nameless cemetery. The man had always shivered when he read this scroll, and Carter shivered now. Wait, wait. Is he talking about his friend? He did say... I got eaten by that ghoul? He did say a nameless cemetery. The unnameable. Ooh. In the south. Oh, no, no. I thought he was talking about the his friend that... When he when he had his first experience oh, with right. the supernatural. Uh, wasn't that Dexter Ward? No. No, that was, no, that was that Randolph, was Randolph Carter. Carter. Statement of Randolph Carter. Oh, yeah. shit. It was, it was literally called Statement Damn, of Randolph Carter. This guy just has, like, the worst <laughs> luck in, in graveyards. Just never go to a cemetery ever. <laughs> I get it. You're goth, and you want to hang around. I get it. You have like a. You have a bad. I get time. it. Like you get these crushes on these dudes, and they're like, "Let's go to a cemetery," and you're like, "Okay," and then they get mauled later. Anyways, yeah, you should probably calm down a little bit, just Randolph. A little bit. Don't just, just like maybe don't hang out with your crush in a, in a graveyard. I know it seems really romantic, but like it, you have a bad track record so far. But he cleaned the key and kept it by him nightly in his aromatic box of ancient oak. His dreams were meanwhile increasing in vividness. And though shewing him none of the strange cities and incredible gardens of the old days, were assuming a definite cast whose purpose could not be mistaken. They were calling him back along the years, 
and with the mingled wills of all his fathers were pulling him towards some hidden ancestral source. Then he knew he must go to the past and merge himself with old things, and day after day he thought of the hills to the north, where haunted Arkham and the rushing Miskatonic and the lonely rustic homestead of his people lay. In the brooding fire of autumn, Carter took the old, remembered way, past graceful lines of rolling hill and stone-walled meadows, distant vale and hanging woodland, curving road and nesting farmstead, and the crystal windings of the Miskatonic, crossed here and there by rustic bridges of wood or stone. At one bend he saw the group of giant elms, among which an ancestor had oddly vanished a century and a half before and shuddered as the wind blew meaningfully through them. Then there was the crumbling farmhouse of old Goody Fowler the witch, with its little evil windows and great roof sloping nearly to the ground on the north side. He speeded up his car as he passed it, and did not slacken till he had mounted the hill where his mother and fathers before her were born, and where the old white houses still looked proudly across the road at the breathlessly lovely panorama of rocky slope and verdant valley, with the distant spires of Kingsport in the horizon, and hints of archaic dream-laden seas in the farthest background. Then came the steeper slope that held the old Carter place he had not seen in over forty years. Afternoon was far gone when he reached the foot, and at the bend halfway up, he paused to scan the outspread countryside, golden and glorified in the slanting flood of magic poured out by western sun. All the strangeness and expectancy of his recent dreams seemed present in his hushed and unearthly landscape, and he thought of the unknown solitudes of other planets as his eyes traced out the velvet and deserted lawns, shining undulant between their tumbled walls, the clumps of fairy forest setting off far lines of purple hills beyond hills, and the spectral wooded valley dipping down in shadow to drink hollows where trickling waters crooned and gurgled among swollen and distorted roots. Something made him feel that motors did not belong in the realm he was seeking, so he left his car at the edge of the forest, and putting the great key in his coat pocket walked up, walked on up the hill. Woods now engulfed him utterly, though he knew the house was on a high knoll and cleared all the trees except to the north. He wondered how it would look, for it had been left vacant and unattended through his neglect since the death of his strange great-uncle Christopher, thirty years before. In his, boyhood, in his boyhood, he had reveled through long visits there, and found weird marvels in the wood beyond the orchard. Shadows thickened around him, for the night was near. Once a gap in the trees opened up to the right, so he saw off across leagues of twilight meadow and spied the old congregational steeple on Central Hill in Kingsport, pink with the last flush of day, the panes of the little round windows blazing with reflected fire. Then, when he was in deep shadow again, we recalled with a start that the glimpse must have been from a childish memory alone. Since the old white church had long been torn down to make room to make room for the Congregational Hospital, he had read of it with interest for the paper had told about some strange burrows or passages found in the rocky hill beneath. Oh, that's a reference to the festival! 
Oh, it is. Yeah, because he goes to Kingport and they take him to that spooky church on the hill. Yeah, real spooky. I like it. I like all these references. Through his puzzlement, a voice piped, and he started again at its familiarity. After long years, old Benija Corey had been his Uncle Christopher's hired man, and was aged even in those far-off times of his boyhood visits. Now he must be well over a hundred, and that piping voice could come from no one else. He could distinguish no words, yet the tone was haunting and unmistakable, to think that old Benaji should still be alive. Mr. Randy, Mr. Randy, whar be ye? Do ye want to skeer ye Aunt Marthy Plum to death? Ain't she told ye deny... Ugh. Hain't she told ye keep nigh the place in the afternoon and get back for after dark? Randy. Ran D. He's the beaten best boy for running off in the woods I ever see. Half the time a settin' moonin' round that snake den in the upper timber lot. Hey you. Ran D. Randolph Carter stopped in the pitch darkness and rubbed his hand across his eyes. Something was queer. He had been somewhere. He ought to not be. And strayed, okay, had strayed very far to places where he had not belonged, and was now inexcusably late. He had not noticed the time on the Kingsport steeple, though he could have easily have made it out with his pocket telescope, and he knew his lateness was something very strange and unprecedented. He was not sure he had his little telescope with him, and put his hand in his blouse pocket to see. No, it was not there, but there was a big silver key he had found in a box somewhere. Uncle Chris had told him something odd, once about an old unopened box with a key in it, but Aunt Martha had stopped the story abruptly, saying it was no kind of thing to tell a child whose head was already too full of queer fancies. He tried to recall just where he had found the key, but something seemed very confused. He guessed it was in the attic at home in Boston, and dimly remembered bribing Parks with half his week's allowance to let him open the box and keep quiet about it. But when he remembered this, the face of Parks came up very strangely, as if the wrinkles of long years had fallen upon the brisk little cockney. Randy! Randy! Hi! Hi! Randy! A swaying lantern came around the black bend. And old Benija pounced on the silent and bewildered form of the pilgrim. Durn ye boy, so thar ye be. Ain't ye got a tongue in your head, and ye can't answer a body? I've been calling this half hour, and ye must be a heard me long ago. Don't ye know your Aunt Marthy's all a fidget over your being off after dark? Wait till I tell your Uncle Chris when he gets em. He'd order know. There here woods ain't no fittin' place to be traipsin' at this hour. There things aboard that don't do anybody no good. As my grandsir knowed for me. Home, Mr. Andy, or Hannah won't keep supper no longer. So Randolph Carter was marched up the road, where wandering stars glimmered through high autumn bows, and dogs barked as the yellow light of small paned windows shone at the further turn, and the Pallades, and yeah, and Pallades twinkled across the open knoll where a great gambrel roof stood black against the dim west. 
Aunt Martha was in the doorway, and, not, and did not scold too hard when Benija shoved the taunt in. She knew Uncle Chris well enough to expect such things of the Carter blood. Randolph did not shoo his key, but ate his supper in silence and protested only when bedtime came. He sometimes dreamed better than awake, and he wanted to use that key. In the morning, Randolph was up early and would have run off to the upper timber loft if Uncle Chris had not caught him and forced him into his chair by the breakfast table. He looked impatiently around the low-pitched room with the ray carpet and exposed beams and corner posts and smiled only when the orchard bows scratched at the leaded panes of the rear window. The trees and the hills were close to him and formed the gates of that timeless realm which was his true country. Then when he was free, he felt in his blouse pocket for the key and being reassured, skipped off across the orchard to the rise beyond, where the wooded hill climbed again to heights above even the treeless knoll. The floor of the forest was mossy and mysterious, and great lichened rocks rose vaguely here and there in dim light like druid monoliths among the swollen and twisted trunks of a sacred grove. Once in his ascent, Randolph crossed a rushing stream whose falls of little way off sung runic incantations to the lurking fawns and ajapans and dryads. Then he came to the strange cave in the forest slope, the dreaded snake den, which country folk shunned, and away from which Benija had warned him again and again. It was deep, far deeper than anyone but Randolph Carter suspected. For... Oh, okay. I was about to say, yeah, of course he came to that strange cave. He just met some water nymphs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> um, what was I? Oh, the dreaded snake den, which country folk shunned, and a wave which, yeah, and a wave from which Benija had warned him again and again. It was deep, far deeper than anyone but Randolph suspected, for the boy had found a fissure in the farthermost black corner that led to a loftier grotto beyond, a haunting sepulchre place whose granite walls held a curious illusion of conscious artifice. On this occasion, he crawled in as usual, knighting his way with matches filched from the sitting room match filched from the sitting room match safe and edging through the final crevice with an eagerness hard to explain even to himself. He could not tell why he approached the furthest wall so confidently, or why he instinctively drew forth the great silver key as he did so. But on he went, and when he danced back to the house that night, he offered no excuses for his lateness, nor heeded in the least the reproofs he gained for ignoring the noontide dinner horn altogether. Now, it is agreed by all, the distant relatives of Randall Carter, that something occurred to heighten his imagination in his tenth year. His cousin, Ernest B. Aspinwall, Esquire of Chicago, is fully ten years his senior, and distinctly recalls a change in the boy after the autumn of 1883. Randolph had looked on scenes of fantasy that few others can ever have beheld, and stranger still, were some of the qualities which he shewed in relation to very mundane things. He seemed, in fine, to have picked up an odd gift of prophecy, 
and reacted unusually to things which, though at the time without meaning, were later found to justify the singular impressions. In subsequent decades, as in subsequent decades, as new inventions, new names, and new events appeared one by one in the book of history, people would now and then recall wonderingly how Carter had years before let fall some careless word of undoubted connections, and what was then far in the future. He did not himself understand these words or know why certain things made him feel certain emotions, but fancied that some unremembered dream must be responsible. It was as early as 1897 that he turned pale when some traveler mentioned the French town of Beloit-en-Santerre, and friends remember it when he was almost mortally wounded there in 1916 while serving in the Foreign Legion in the Great War. Carter's relatives talk much of these things because he was lately disappeared. His little old servant Parks, who for years bore patiently with his vagaries, last saw him on the morning he drove off alone in his car with a key he had recently found. Parks helped him get the key from an old box containing from an old box containing it, and had felt strangely affected by the grotesque carvings on the box, and by some other odd quality he could not name. When Carter left, he said he was going to visit his old ancestral country around Arkham. Halfway up Elm Mountain, on the way to the ruins of Old Carter Place, they found his motor set carefully by the roadside, and in it was a box of fragrant wood with carvings that frightened the countrymen who stumbled on it. The box held only a queer parchment whose characters no linguist or paleographer has been able to decipher or identify. Rain had long effaced any possible footprints, though Boston investigators had something to say about evidence of disturbances among the fallen timbers of the Carter Place. It was, they averred, as though someone had groped about the ruins at no distant period. A common white handkerchief found among the forest rocks on the hillside beyond cannot be identified as belonging to the missing man. There is talk of apportioning Randolph Carter's estate among his heirs, but I shall stand firmly against this course because I do not believe that he is dead. There are twists of time and space, a vision of reality which only a dreamer can divine. And from what I know of Carter, I think he has merely found a way to traverse these mazes. Whether or not he will ever come back, I cannot say. He wanted the lands of dreams he had lost and yearned for the days of his childhood. Then he found a key, and I somehow believe he was able to use it to strange advantage. I shall ask him when I see him, for I expect to meet him shortly in a certain dream city we both used to haunt. It is rumored in Ulthar, beyond the river sky, that a new king reigns on the opal throne in Ilavad. A new king reigns on the opal throne in Ilikvad, that fabulous town of turrets atop the hollow cliffs of glass overlooking the twilight sea, wherein the bearded and finny nori build their singular labyrinths. And I believe I know how to interpret this rumor. Certainly, I look forward impatiently to the sight of that great silver key, for in its cryptical abrasques, there may stand symbolized all the aims and mysteries of a blindly impersonal cosmos. That was amazingly written. That was incredible. <sighs> Damn. That was a lot. <sighs> yeah, that was sad, but it was good. Well, he yeah. went back to the dreamlands, I guess. 
Yep. Um, so, uh, this, uh, that part of the story has, um, I know I mentioned this multiple times, but the, uh, dream quest of Violet Bo, uh-huh. um, uh, she apparently, uh, she had a thing with, um, Randolph for a little while, uh. and Randolph was like a, uh, it's basically like a king of an area. Ooh. Um, and he lost his keys. Again. Oh, god um, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's kind of like stuck. Oh. Yeah. I I kind of got that hint from the way they were talking about it. Either he is in a constant loop, or he's stuck in the dreamlands now. Yeah. yeah. Damn. <sighs> so Randolph Carter, stop oh, losing your this. fucking key. Yeah, let's 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 do let's, this. Uh, yeah, let's HP Listcraft right. this shit. A listomania. Think let's it grow. All right, where you want to put this bad boy? Yeah, let me get that pulled up. I didn't pull it up. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that one's gonna go pretty. That's gonna go. Yeah, up there, it it was really good. Um, <sighs> I kind of want to put it around next to Oblivion. I agree. I agree. Uh, do you think it's better than Ex Oblivion? No, Ex Oblivion was a elaborate suicide note, so I'm always gonna put that <laughs> higher. Um, do you think it was better than the tree? I think the tree, like, kind of. It's less sad than this one, and the tree's very I sad. I know. It's also way more gay. Well, I mean, I mean, Randolph's like incredibly it's gay. True. It's um, true. He's, it's yeah, true. He's, he's incredibly it's gay. Um, Keeps hauling dudes in the graveyards and getting mauled by something. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's better than the tree? I think it's better than the tree. I agree. The tree is short and sweet and real gay, but I feel like this is better. All right, so it is firmly at number nine. So at number ten, we got the tree, which maybe one day we'll be able to finally record. Um, Eventually. And then we got the silver key, Ex Oblivion, the statement of Randolph Carter, the white ship, Memory, at five, Call of Cthulhu, Nyarlathotep, Color Out of Space, and at number one we have Dagon. So I think that's pretty solid top ten so far. Yeah, and I feel like we're just going to... We're um, going to keep adding stuff to, like, the top ten. I can feel it. Uh, maybe yeah. not the next... We'll see how the next one is. It seems kind of spooky. The strange house in the high mist. Or the strange high house in the mist. <sighs> yep. And we're going to watch... Uh, and we're going to wa- watch the lighthouse. Yeah, and then we're going to read uh, <laughs> Dream Quest of Endo Kadok, which we have to figure out how to split up. Um, <laughs> oh, we will discuss that at Oh, later. God. It's so long. There's no chapter breaks. Why? Nah. Well, you know, sometimes they want to make it harder <laughs> on you, Faith. I mean, I'm going to love reading it, but still. Yeah. God, it's so long, too. I'm just... I'm just... Okay. okay. Anyways, well, but yes, this was great. I liked it. It's also very sad. Yeah, it's just... I don't just... think either of us have had a good day, so that didn't help. <laughs> It was, well, let's, it let's was at this. least beautifully written. Got that, at least. Yeah, at least it was a race, I say. Oh, that's true! <laughs> Sad. That is true. <sighs> Alright, well, yeah. uh, what do you want to plug, Jesse? Um, I'll plug uh, into Riverdale, where yes. me and Daniel, my friend yes. Daniel, uh, watch Riverdale episode by episode. Uh, by the time this comes out, we would have had a Marky on an episode, which was happened to be a transitional episode. Between some really crazy shit, <laughs> I so I'm over you know, I 
I feel like I feel like we need to bring in people who haven't watched Riverdale on like some real hard to understand episodes. <laughs> just throw them in there. It's like just in the midst. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's real fun. Because we had to explain we had to <laughs> explain for like three episodes. Archie was in oh like my- no five episodes. Archie was in a prison. Oh yeah, and, and the he was, highs he and stabbed. lows of uh, high school football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, go check it out. It's fun. <laughs> oh, I think that's especially good for people who can't like get into Riverdale just watching it. I feel like you can get into it with a podcast. <laughs> um, I will plug my YouTube channel. It's called McSpooky Sweaters, just youtube.com slash McSpooky Sweaters, where I read all sorts of spooky stories. So like poems, creepy pastas, novellas. So if you like uh, some of the stuff we read here with HP, uh, I think you'll like some of the stuff I read there. Um, but yeah, go check it out. Listen to a couple stories. It's fun. All right. Well, this has been Over Innsmouth. And remember, you are an irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Our keening static howl is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable. And the mansions of silence would forever fill with our lament. Okay, bye. Bye. Excuse